Well, this morning we come to the conclusion of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. So I would encourage you to take your Bibles, your electronic devices, or the Bible in the pew in front of you, and join me over in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 27. Now before we launch into the message this morning, uh, I'm sure we are all aware of the devastating effects that Hurricane Ian has had in Florida. Next Sunday morning, we are going to pass on to God's pit crew. So I encourage you to pray about what God would have you to do. And also to be praying, I think this morning, of our brothers and sisters that know the Lord, who maybe their church buildings aren't even there uh, now because of the hurricane. So we just want to be able to respond. And just knowing the, the hearts and the generosity of the people in this church, I'm excited about what we'll be able to do to help people there. Also, as I mentioned, this is the final sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, the conclusion of the sermon. Starting next week, there will be a four-week series that Pastor Bruce Rosa is going to be preaching entitled Doctrines of Demons. Doctrines of Demons. And he's going to be examining from the Word of God some of the things that we see going on in our culture, and he's going to trace them right back to their source, which comes from Satan and his horns. So that series will start right in the middle of that series. He'll preach that for two weeks. And then just as a reminder, we have our missionary conference that is going on, a special day where our partners from all around the world will be joining us. And uh, I encourage you to be a part of the events of that weekend as well. But this morning we come to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. So follow with me, beginning in Matthew chapter 7, in verses 24 to 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This morning, as we look at this passage, I want us to see, first of all, that Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words. The question is, what words? What's he referring to when he says everyone who hears these words? And what the immediate context is telling us is all the words of this Sermon on the Mount. 
So this morning, uh, by way of review and reminder, I want you to turn back to the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapter 5, in verse 1, is where this sermon begins. Now, this is the greatest sermon ever preached, because it's preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived. And so I think it is important for us to be reminded of what's there. Plus, it's important for us to know what's being talked about when Jesus says the person who hears and does these words. You remember the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes, the attitudes that we are supposed to have and then live out in our lives. Look in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And with each of those, there was a promise that followed with that. And notice at the end of verse 10, it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the attitude that we are all to have. This should be the way that we run our lives, is having these attitudes each and every day. Verse 13 tells us, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. So we are, as believers in Christ, to live in such a way that we are the salt that helps preserve our culture, that we are the salt of the earth that makes people thirsty for spiritual things so that they will come to Christ. We are the light of the world. You remember Jesus said he was the light of the world. And then he tells his followers, you are the light of the world. We are the light in that we reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way that the moon reflects the light from the sun, we are to reflect the light of the Lord Jesus Christ out into our world. You move down in the sermon and you look at verse 20. It says, for I tell you, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we hear that statement and we think, well, that shouldn't be too hard to exceed the righteousness of the, the Pharisees because after all, Jesus had his most critical words for those who were Pharisees. But the Pharisees were the most ardent followers of the word of God. The Pharisees were very, very uh, particular in trying to follow every single command. And they were so concerned about that that they lost focus on it 
to where they started adding their own laws and their own commands. And they lost the purpose behind the laws and the commands that were given. And that's why Jesus was so critical of them, because they were a bunch of hypocrites. And so we are told, though, that our righteousness has to exceed their righteousness. If you jump down to verse 21, Jesus will now talk about, see, the the Pharisees were all concerned about outward observance. Jesus is going to say it goes beyond that. It goes to the heart attitude. So he says in verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Boy, that's really upping the stakes, isn't it? It's not just about murder. It's about the attitude that produces murder. It's about what's going on inside us with anger. He says the same thing down in verse 27 about another subject when he says, but you have heard it was said... You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So it goes beyond just the outward act, it goes to the inward attitude. It goes to not just the problem of adultery, but it goes to the problem of the lust that brought forth the adultery. Verse 31, he says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. We jump down to verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. See, the people were trying to figure out ways they could get around the promises that they made. Jesus said, we need to be people of our word. Our yes should be yes and our no should be no. Verse 38, you've heard that it's said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. The attitude that we are to have. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Let that sink in for a minute. Love your enemies. Not just your friends. Love your enemies. Jesus will perfectly portray that when he dies on the cross. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. While we were enemies of his, he died that we could be saved. Jump down to verse 48, chapter 5. You therefore must be perfect, 
as your heavenly Father is perfect. How's that for a standard for us, huh? Not just you must be good. We can't be good in and of ourselves. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags. But the standard that is there that we all fall short of is to be perfect like our heavenly Father is perfect. Jump over to chapter 6, verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When we give, we don't boast about what we give. We don't say, hey, everybody come and look at what we're giving. No, we are to give in such a way. This is don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You do that in secret because God sees it. God sees it. God will repay and will reward. Verse 5 of chapter 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen of others. Don't be hypocritical in your prayers. We are to pray privately and go to the Lord. We're not to pray just for the sake of being heard by others. When you do that, you get your reward. Your reward is the praise of men. It says, boy, that guy can really pray, can he? But no, we are to pray in private because we are talking with God. Skip on down in chapter 6 to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Right? When you fast, what are you to do? Do it in secret. You're not supposed to, to look like, man, I haven't had a meal in weeks. And when someone asks you, well, I'm fasting, I'm, I'm doing this for the Lord. No, that's hypocritical. You're doing that for the praise of men, for men to see that which you're doing. We're to do it before our Father in heaven. Verse 19 of chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Where are we investing our treasures? We are to invest them in heaven, not here on earth. Everything that we invest in earth, it will one day pass away. But that which we invest in heaven will be there for all eternity. Jump down to verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. We've talked about that in our world today. There are people really wrestling with this issue of anxiety and how we need to trust the Lord. And we need to put our confidence in him because he's worthy of our confidence. I want you to jump over to chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not 
that you be not judged. And we talked about what the meaning of those words are, to judge not lest we also be judged. We don't judge others by a standard we wouldn't want to be judged by. We don't judge the attitudes of others. We can't see into their hearts. Judge not, lest you also be judged. Verse 7 of chapter 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. The promises of prayer that come from our Lord. Down in verse 12, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. What we call the golden rule. Remember, we are to take the initiative on that. Not waiting on someone to do something for us, but we are to do for others what we would want them to do for us. Have you been trying to practice that in your life? Have you thought through as you're going through your week, what would I like someone to do for me? And then do that for someone else. And then in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. There's only two gates before you. There is the wide gate and there is the narrow gate. Are you going through the narrow gate? Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone? The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Then we jump down to verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Beware, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone then who hears these words, these words, this message of this sermon that the Lord has preached, everyone then who hears these words of mine, and don't miss the next phrase, what is it? And what is it? Does them. Say it together with me. Does them. It's not enough just to hear, is it? They must be put into action. So that brings us from the words of Jesus to the parable of Jesus in verses 24 to 27. And here in the parable of Jesus... He talks about two individuals who build their homes. Now, how many of you grew up in Sunday school singing the little song, the wise man, I'm not going to sing it this morning, but we'll go, the wise man built his house upon the rock. How many of you sang that? How many of you know that song? Okay, there's an example of, of a song that is strictly based on Scripture and very Simple. And probably most of you would be able to sing that song right now from memory if I ask you to do so. But because I have zero musical ability, I'm not going to ask you to do that. Because I would be leading it and it would sound terrible. But, okay, the truth of that song is it's coming right from the passage. 
we have two different builders. And I want you to talk about the similarities, the similarities between the two. Both are building houses. You know, it may be that they are building the same type of house. They may have had identical floor plans with one another. There's nothing to distinguish the houses from one another in this parable of Jesus's. They're both building houses. Uh, we're not told of anything different about the ability of the two men to build their houses as far as it comes to their craftsmanship. I mean, they both may have been very good about the things that they put in their house and how they built the inside of their house. The only thing that we see as well is that they're building, it seems like, in the same sort of locations. It's not that I used to think, okay, we've got this one builder, he's, he's building on a cliff somewhere, on a solid rock, and we have these other builders, they're building right down by the, the sea where the water is rolling. But that's really not what was happening here. There were places in Palestine where you could be one place would have a very rocky place that you could build your foundation on, and then there could be another place nearby it that in dry season would look like an ideal place to build your house. But the problem was you were building on sand, and underneath that sand there was no rock in order for you to use as a foundation for your home. And it might be fine through most of the year, but eventually the rain's going to come, the storm's going to come, and that is the difference. So we see the differences here between, in this parable, between the two builders. Now, in our world, we have illustrations of people who have built on faulty soil or faulty foundations. Most of you are aware of the Tower of Pisa and how it continues to lean. Why does it lean? Because the soil underneath it is not stable. Now you would think that people would have learned from that throughout history, but in San Francisco, there's a building known as the Millennium Tower. This building was built in 2009 at the cost of $350 million. But guess what's happening? It's on a faulty foundation. So the tower that was built in 2009 is right now leaning over two feet in one direction. And if it continues to lean in just the next few years, it said the elevators in the building will not work and the sewer in the building will not work. So what are they going to try to do? They're going to try to fix it. At what cost? Uh, this year, they're supposed to start work on it at the cost, after lawsuits have been fought through, of $100 million. 
to try to correct the problems of a faulty foundation. See, the differences between these two houses in the passage we have before us is one builder has built his house on the rock. Who hears these words in verse 24 and does them will be like the, the wise man who built his house on the rock. Drop down to verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. They both, they both heard this message. Jesus is addressing this crowd as he's coming to a conclusion of this message. And he uses this parable to illustrate to them, okay, everybody here has heard the words that I have said. Are you going to be wise or are you going to be foolish? It's not about just hearing. It's about what? Doing. It's about doing. That's why James tells us that we are to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Jesus is telling this mass of people that are before him and his disciples, you need to do these words, not just hear them. Because the results, the results are dramatic. When the trials of life come, and they're going to come, when the problems in life come, and they are going to come, when the issues of life come, and they are going to come, will your life be built upon the rock? Or will your life be built upon the sand? Because the results of where you choose to build, the results of where you, of how you choose to live, will determine what the results so let me ask a question as it relates to this, a question that Richard Wormbrand, who had suffered much for Christ, asked Pastor Kent Hughes about his church. He said, are you guys a Bible-believing church or are you a Bible-living church? Let me ask that again of us here at Maranatha Bible Church. At Maranatha Bible Church, we have a reputation as a church that preaches and teaches the Word of God. And that's great. But the question is, are we just hearers or are we doers of the Word? Are we a Bible-believing church or are we a Bible-living Now, let me make this personal with you this morning. Are you a Bible-hearing person 
Or are you a Bible-living person? Have you heard the words of Jesus? Have you heard the words of the gospel and stopped there? Or have you received the words of the gospel, put your faith and trust in Jesus, who the Bible points us to, and therefore it has made a change in your life, that you are a new creation, newly made by God. And that has changed the way that you live your life. Which is it for us this morning? As we move on into the passage, the next thing that I want us to see is the authority of Jesus. Look in verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, so conclusion of the message, he's at the end. The crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. He wants to see the authority of Jesus. Jesus speaks these words with great authority, and why shouldn't he? Who is he? He's the Son of God. He is God himself. And when he speaks, he's speaking the very words of God, and he speaks with complete and total authority. We find over in Matthew 28, verse 18, as part of the great commission that was given, we're told, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority. It is his so he teaches them with authority. And this is this, and not as their scribes. See, the pattern of the teaching of the scribes in those days is they were busy quoting all kinds of other people. They would say something to the people and they would base it upon, well, this person said this, and this person said this, and this person said this. So they couldn't really teach with authority because they were teaching based on the authority of men and what other individuals thought. But here comes Jesus. Who does he have to quote? No one. The God who knows all things. He doesn't have to depend on the opinions of others because he is God himself speaking. So his teaching is very different from that of the scribes of that day. So where does this bring us this morning at the conclusion of this sermon? Over the last couple of months, we've heard many messages from the Sermon on the Mount. And actually, we could have preached many more messages from this sermon than we even did. There's much there, but it all is tied together in 
that Jesus is speaking to us as to what it means to be a true follower of his. And what does it mean? It begins with faith. Begins with faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It begins with faith. Putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Admitting that you are a sinner. A sinner that needs to be saved. And putting your faith and trust in So let me ask you this morning, what is your life built upon? Have you exercised that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a mere hearer of the word or are you a doer that has trusted in him for your salvation? Which is it this morning? You know, the scriptures would remind us, now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. If you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior, I hope as you've heard these words of Jesus, they have sunk into you, and you see your need of Jesus to be your Savior. Then for those of us who know Christ as our Savior, Are we focusing on being doers of the word? Not just taking in, but also taking in those words and then living them out in our lives. Because as we do so, we will be reflecting the light of Jesus. And others will see and will wonder what's different about this individual. And it gives us opportunity to share with them the hope that we have in Christ. Two builders, two houses. The only difference is one's built on the rock and the other is built on the sand. Who have you built upon? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this great sermon that Jesus preached. Thank you for recording it for us, Lord. And I pray this morning that each of us would examine our hearts. And if we've not been building upon the rock, help us today that we might make a change by confessing Jesus as our Lord and Savior. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.